Joey caught, he got malaria. It affected him so strongly, he had to be airlifted out of Liberia. It was a really touch and go situation for a couple of days and really scary. I had never driven. It's terrifying to drive in Liberia and I, mm. I had never driven before and Joey, he, he couldn't sit up. So I had to, to lie him in the back of the back seat of our truck. I had to get Joey to the, to the hospital in Monrovia. We live about two hours away and I'm going to get him there. And Michelle Obama has come into Liberia that day and all the roads are closed. Oh my gosh. And so I am standing on the side of the road with Joey unconscious in the back seat of the truck, arguing with a Liberian policeman about, I have to get into town. I don't know what it's gonna take, but I have to get there. He got me through all the checkpoints and, and we got Joey to, to the clinic. I just found that God, like at each little step, provided a person or an idea or a phone call. There was always something that got me through that next step that I had to do. From the nonprofit organization Orphan Aid Liberia, this is the Love Period Podcast, a show about the stories of leaders, creators, groundbreakers, and pioneers currently leading movements or organizations who have a focus on serving other people who at some point had to lift up their anchor, step out in faith into the unknown to where they are today. I'm your host, Jacob Burson, and on this episode of the Love Period Podcast, we talk to Carrie and Joey Davidson. Carrie and Joey are missionaries from Georgia who are currently living in Liberia, West Africa. There, they have been doing some amazing work. They started a coconut farm to train up local folks to provide self-sustainment while on mission, and they've also launched an ecotourism company with the same goals. The things they are accomplishing while serving in austere conditions, battling malaria, and growing the kingdom of God is truly remarkable. Can't wait for you guys to hear our conversation today. So join us today in this conversation with Carrie and Joey Davidson. All right, guys, I am here on the phone and on, it's two phones, I guess, on the phone with Joey and Carrie Davidson. They are with On Aim in Liberia, uh, missionaries who are doing great things over there. Cannot wait to hear their story today, guys. Joey and Carrie, how you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks we're, for we're we're doing great, Jacob. Thanks for having us on this this afternoon. So we appreciate that. It's good to talk to you. And while we're on the phone, you guys are technically not in Liberia right now. You're down just down the down seventy five from us down in in Georgia, right? We are. We yeah, we're. Down. Are, we're on our, our home assignment, so we're in Peachtree City, Georgia, but we go back next week. Next week. So how many? How long have you guys been home in this this little trip back? About a month, and we head back uh, in about a week and a half, so we go back on the 24th. Okay, yeah, so a little break home, nice little break, but when you come home like this, aren't you, are you ready to get back on the road? You mean, when, are we ready to get back to Liberia? That's right. Yeah, I think so. I think we're ready to, um, you know, we got, that's where our home is, so right. we're, miss, we're missing our dogs, we're missing our people. We got a lot of things going on, so we're ready to jump back in and get to work. All right, so we start every every episode with um, with a rapid fire set of questions, just to kind of break the ice, to, so people can get to know a little bit about you guys, what you guys are all about. So we'll get to both of you. We'll start with Carrie. You first. What was your first car? Well, I don't actually know what kind of car it was. It was a station wagon, and my brother and I shared it, and it was um, just in terrible shape. And the, the one thing I remember about it is that it wouldn't go in reverse. So you always had to park so that you could go forward. <laughs> always had <laughs> I had a car like that transmission problems could not go actually mine was first gear there was no first gear so you could not start fast 
So, yeah. yeah. Joey, what about you? Well, mine was a 1973 Toyota Carina. They don't even make those anymore, but um, it was a hand-me-down for my older brother, and it was a stick shift, and so I got to learn how to, ri- to drive a stick and and um, a manual transmission and to give folks a whiplash whenever I started learning how to drive it. I've never even heard of that version, Toyota. That's a, 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 a Toyota. What was that? A Carina? That's a Carina. And so, yeah, I think they just, they disbanded it and uh, it rolled it into like a Corolla or a, or something oh, it was else. Corolla they precursor. stopped making it in the 70s. Yeah, it must be worth $80 million now. <laughs> not okay. that one not that one okay. that one is somewhere in the junkyard for sure so <laughs> all right carrie who oh, okay a childhood moment where you were scared the most okay well when i was in preschool i was really shy and i my mom taught at the preschool and after preschool i went in and i picked up the gerbil in one of the teacher's classrooms and it bit me and I dropped it. Mm. So then the gerbil was missing and I was just terrified. Everybody was going to be mad at me. I, I lost the classroom pet. Yeah, that's the classroom gerbil had a very high, they were very high on the totem pole in that preschool kindergarten day. Good news, we found it. That's the bad news is is you've been terrified of gerbils ever since. <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> Joey, what about you? Oh my, I think I still have some shivers from from my moment. But I was I we grew up in a in rural South Carolina and we had a big yard and I was playing with fire one day and lit the yard on fire. Oh, is that all? And, and so I just knew how much trouble I was going to get in when I, when my father figured that out, that I'd done that. And so I tried to put it out with the garden hose, um, until unsuccessfully until it, we about burned down our house. And so, um, I was, I was afraid of that. I was afraid of the, uh, the punishment I knew was coming, um, from my parents. But everybody, once we got the, once the, the fire department came and got the, the fire put out, then, then I was, uh, I had, had some other things to be afraid of. <laughs> but you made it to today and South Carolina still standing. Made it to today. Yes, we yeah. made it to today. So, but that was, that was a pretty scary moment. All right. The so the Love Period podcast, we focus on telling stories of people who have uh, lifted their anchor to step out in faith. Uh, Joey, could you tell us a story or a moment, or maybe it's moments in your life where you had to make, maybe it was the first big decision uh, to lift your anchor, to p- pursue where you're at today, or get you where you're going, or depart a place of comfort from the known to get to a place of the unknown. Could you tell us one of those stories? Well, I think probably one of my one of my big moments of lifting anchor was um, I was employed, was working for a logistics company, and as we are moving down the path to go to Liberia, I was, I felt uh, compelled to tell my boss because I was working, you know, uh, and I, I didn't want him to find out in another way to see it online that I was attending some training or we we're doing something. So. We haven't raised a dollar. We haven't finalized plans, but I still am telling my boss that I'm going to be leaving later that year to pursue this life uh, overseas. Um, and that, to me, felt really was uh, was was a big time because it was scary. Didn't know how he was going to respond for sure. Whether or not he's going to say, "Well, today's your last day." Um, or what the how the conversation was going to go, but I felt one that I needed to be transparent, and I didn't. I wanted him to know, and this is actually part of our story: is bringing my boss into into uh, what God's plans were for us. Um, but it was still that that felt really well, felt really scary and like a big move at the time. Um, so, yeah. So I, I would say that was probably one of the first steps 
along this path of, of moving was, um, was leaving my job that I loved and that I was good at uh, to go to something that I really had no clue about and not, re- you know, didn't know how I was going to be or anything. Yeah, and that's kind of what, and we'll get into this a little bit more. That's kind of one of the things that I think a lot of us, before we take those steps, when we're feeling that there's, we're called to something maybe bigger between heaven and earth, that we see these superheroes in ministry in different places, or maybe they're leading organizations that they have already unlocked some kind of key of wisdom or knowledge um, before they took the step. And hearing you kind of already mention not really knowing or having the, necessarily the full spectrum of experience of what you were about to step into, and looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that as, uh, the, as we keep talking. All right, Carrie, about you, same thing. You have, do you have a story, a big story about the, the moment or moments that led up uh, to you making the big decision uh, to lift your anchor and step out into a place of place, a step away from a place of comfort into a place of the, or a place of the unknown? Well, I think that God has been really gracious to me in that he has allowed me small steps that have ended up in this crazy place that I never imagined. And so really, when I look back, I think our first step, we first went to Liberia in 2007, and we took our two older kids who then were in fifth grade and sixth grade, and we all went together um, with our church. And at that point, I, that none of this was on my radar. I was really happy living the life that I was living. And, um, so just taking that first step seemed pretty scary to me. And, and so I think God was really good in taking that he opened my eyes and began to work in my heart which then allowed me to take the next step and then the next step and then the next step right so you yeah that's what's that's the interesting one um that when you kind of look into the a life of faith of just those small steps along the way that eventually lead to the big step for some folks some folks it really is just kind of the big step right out of the gate they didn't see coming ever and then sometimes it's kind of the small steps along the way that build up a gradual momentum. Um, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to, gosh, that trip in 2007 with your kids, that mission trip that kind of led to where you are today. Um, mm-hmm. What what led you guys to kind of take that initial trip? Well, our our church had raised money to build a school at an orphanage in Liberia. And it was, God was just working in each of us as we sat and listened to the story and listened to the plan. We walked out of church and each of us said, I think we're supposed to go. And um, just having that confirmation, I mean, even in your fifth grader and sixth grader to look at you and say, "I, I think God's telling us like that we're supposed to do this. Um, what parent wants to say, mm, no, we're not going to do what God's called us to do when your child is telling us. Um, so, and, and Jacob, he, God really did provide ways. Like, you know, my, my thoughts were when we were thinking about this trip or when do you, you know, about time off and how do you pay for tickets and, um, all these things, and God just kept answering each of um, my and our questions, and you know, we, there was so we just kept stepping out within this the shots that were required, and then all the just the things that that um, were hurdles in my mind about well, then how do we actually do this? He he just he just provided in each in each way. Yeah, and this is one of those it's one of those things where if you when you don't, when you when you don't engage that way, when you don't open up the bandwidth for to see God step up in those ways, it's not that God doesn't step up. God is doing those things through other people in other places, but until we open ourselves up to participate, it's pretty amazing. It makes me wonder and think back of how many things did I miss 
and how many how many opportunities did I miss along the way to until getting to the place where I am today to see God move? Grateful, super gracious that I'm able to be a participate today. But it's interesting to hear you say that to uh, kind of elaborate to kind of open that up that you guys have seen God's work in ways that wouldn't have been possible without opening up these opportunities. You know, and one one quick aside to that, uh, Jacob, is that you know we we had kind of talked about we, you know since our kids were born we had talked about creating this family culture and it was a family culture of one where we tried to serve and do things as a family. Um, and then when this opportunity came up, it then was for our kids, you know, we got, we got the okay and the buy-in from our kids early because this is what we did as a family. We found ways to serve. Now, we had never taken a, an international trip and not to Africa or anything together but before um, as a family, but this is it kind of fit into into the kind of culture that we were treat, we we were creating for our family. That's what's real. That's what's interesting about you guys' story, and I really want to get the background of a little bit of the overview of what you guys do there in Liberia, in country. the The interesting part is that how you're doing it all together as a family. So, tell us a little bit about um, your organization and what you guys do there, and and just the. Not necessarily the the total vision for what's happening in the next twenty years that you guys are there, but just just what you guys are up to, uh, what got you to Liberia, and what you're doing now. All right. Well, so through that trip, we um, met some kids that lived at an orphanage, and we began partner. Our church began partnering with them. Joey began began leading the ministry. We went back and forth and began to feel like God was calling us to move to Liberia. And again, God has been gracious to reveal a little bit at a time. Jacob, we like to call ourselves remedial missionaries. It takes us a long time to catch on or learn anything, but he's given us that time. And so over the years, we felt called to move. We felt called to these vulnerable kids and then we began to sense an age group which would be the kids that were aging out of an orphanage their support network wasn't there and they were making some bad decisions and we just wanted to see how we could help them but we didn't want to just create a place where they lived with us because we did we wanted to empower them instead of having them become dependent on us so long story but we began to sense that doing something with employment the unemployment rate in liberia is 85 percent so if we could help kids get a job and learn life skills and job skills at the same time as discipling them and and supporting them we felt like that might be a good fit. Yeah, that's what's um that's what's so interesting about what you guys are doing is that gap exists in so many places of kids who age out of a of a foster care system or or an orphanage system of them being prepared not uh, with the work based skills, but you guys are providing both the work base and and the spiritual development that's getting them ready uh, to to step out into into adulthood. So um, just from the experience that I've got with Orphan Aid Liberia that I've had, just understanding what when we say the word education, what's the differences in the education hurdles that you guys have or what you guys impl- deploy there compared to, see, in the United States, we're all, when we say the word education, we're hitting on bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. What is it in Liberia that you guys, it, with your organization, what are you guys, what's the big focus there? Out of the folks that we work with now, we have roughly 20 to uh, you know, 20 uh, folks that work for us, and we have maybe three that can read. Um, and so we have a, there's a lot of illiteracy um, during those primary education years is when the Civil War was going on in, in Liberia, and so teachers. Teachers left. There was so much displacement, uh, internal and external displacement of people that 
um, there's just uh, there's kind of a generation of folks who didn't really get educated. You have folks who are 17 or 18 years old, and they may be in the second or third grade because they didn't, you know, the, the schools were closed during that time of the war. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And that's what, that's one of the things I've learned with Orphanade Liberia, just in the four months that I've been there, a few months that I've been there is that the word education means something totally different. We're, we're, we're when we say educate, we're trying to teach kids how to read. What were some, when you say remedial missionary, how did you feel what did you think you needed to be strong in that was actually not what you thought it was once you got engaged? Well, I think just the, the speed, um, the degree of challenges and the, and the speed of, of how quickly things can come at you. And, you know, our, our approach to um, the good, well, our approach into missions and then is really as a result of some of the good training that our organization sends folks out with, and that includes to go as a learner. Um, and so not to think that we are, you know, we're the only ones who can bring a solution, but to how do you approach it so that you learn the cultural, um, the nuances of how to live and work and get things done and accomplished. Um, bring in the, the, the good news of Jesus and what does uh, a life of uh, as being a, a disciple of Jesus look like and what things within the culture need to be redeemed versus kept and celebrated. Carrie, the pre-missionary journey, um, you sit on a little bit with the, with the mission trip that you guys went on, but you had mentioned little steps of faith along the way. What about when you were growing up? Was there anybody um, who kind of set an example for you in your in your faith, or somebody who might have lived a life that you could maybe point to, where they might have been a a not a, maybe a risk taker could be the right word, but they were also maybe a spiritual foundation, um, but gave you the confidence to to take these steps. You know, I had a fantastic growing up in the church. And so I don't remember my Sunday school teachers and my choir directors and my pastors as being um, a risk taker, but I do remember their faithfulness to show Mm. up and their faithfulness to show me love. I felt so loved in the church that I think that gave me the confidence. People just spoke that love of Jesus to me so that I felt like I can do anything. Wow, that's huge. I think that for me was I was really grounded in the love of God by adults my whole life in the church. Wow, that's huge because I think that's where sometimes we would— not think that what we're doing in our piece of the body um, makes that big of a difference where we would not think if we're, if we're air quotes, just a Sunday school teacher or we're just a school teacher, that that's the simplicity of just showing up every day and pouring our lives into the life of someone else has such an impact on them later in life and then has impacts on lives thousands of miles away is is huge. And it's tough for us to think about in the moment. It's awesome that you say that. You guys, I've thought about this a few times. um, When I think about that day and I'm sitting there with Paul and I'm trying to compare my boring stories to, (laughs) to what, to what Paul endured. I just kind of think Paul's going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you didn't risk a whole lot, but you guys, you guys to me are those biblical is a, you guys are as biblical of an example of what I could imagine. And that's the kind of, these are the stories that I, I kind of want to hear you guys talk about. Um, what are some struggles that you guys have experienced there in Liberia since you've been there? You know, it's just the everyday struggles that I think are the hardest, the loneliness, the, the being away from our older kids and our parents. And our family. Right. Right. Figuring out the culture, always thinking, "Am I, am I doing this right? Like, 
I want to represent Jesus so well. Am I, am I doing that? Um, but so one of our big things was Joey caught, he got malaria and it went untreated for a little bit because he thought it was a sinus infection and he, um, it affected him so strongly he had to be airlifted out of Liberia and sent to Germany to be to be treated for malaria. It was a really touch and go situation for a couple of days and really scary. All right, so Joe, you get you catch malaria, you think it's a sinus infection, you don't get it treated. Um, yeah. What? In those moments, and either you you have two different perspectives of answers, what kind of conversations with God is going on at that time? What is, what's the thoughts going on there? Well, you know, this is God's protection for me, Jacob, because I am completely out of it. So I have, like, um, I think I had a blood pressure of like 70 over 50 or something like that. So mm. I am just, I'm pretty much incapacitated at that point. Um, and... It wasn't until we I get in we get into the the in Frankfurt, um, and then just trying to you know beginning to to heal and to get and to take treatment and um, you know this was right after the Ebola uh, thing so everyone was like when I can when I got into uh, Frankfurt um, apparently people were in, you know, the, the hazmat protection suits and everything. Cause they didn't, they knew I was coming in really sick and, but they didn't know what uh, the doctor had written. I'd possibly had loss of fever, which is like Ebola. Um, so I get into Frankfurt and they completely let me do myself. I had to self-medicate, uh, cause people didn't want to come into the room and things like that. And so I'm not really, you know, I'm just trying to to feel better, but it, it wasn't really until later, you know, I, Carrie and everybody had, had come to Frankfurt to be with me as I'm beginning to recuperate and to get healed. Um, and then really the, the struggle was because since I was pretty much out of it was just knowing the torment and the anguish that I had put Carrie in. Um, you know, that was her greatest fear going into this whole serving in Africa is that I'm going to be incapacitated in some way and she's going to have to make all these decisions and figure things out. And she did. She had to do all of it. And you know what? God provided her the strength. She just did an awesome, incredible job of, of making all these arrangements, dealing with medical care and the U.S. and Germany and Liberia and at the time Senegal and so she's on the phone with everybody trying to work through everything and get me get me there and get me treated and, and get me uh, better but um, but knowing the anguish that she was had put her under and then but seeing all the people around the world who were then caught on to this story who were praying for us and to see the body of Christ coming through with prayers and financial support and a and a, a place for, for Carrie and our kids to stay in Frankfurt while I'm in the hospital, just all the ways that, that the body of Christ came together to support us in that. That was really that was that was really uh, uh, to see. Wow. Yeah that's so Carrie, your greatest greatest fear, your greatest fears were were confirmed. They were it happened. It happened. Yeah. So tell. I, so, Joey's out of it. What's your mindset at that time? Well, at that point, I was I was feeling like okay, we were going to get there and and we were going to get help and and it was really when we were in Liberia. I had never driven. It's terrifying to drive in Liberia and I mm. I had never driven before and Joey he he couldn't sit up so I had to to lie him in the back of the back seat of our truck and I did I have a um a young man Cyrus who rode with me but here's the thing I had to get Joey to the 
to the hospital in Monrovia. We live about two hours away and I'm going to get him there. And Michelle Obama has come into Liberia that day and all the roads are closed. Oh my gosh. And so I am standing on the side of the road with Joey unconscious in the back seat of the truck arguing with a Liberian policeman about, I have to get into town. I don't know what it's going to take, but I have to get there. And so he got me through all the checkpoints and, and we got Joey to, to the clinic. And so I did, I just found that God, like at each little step provided a person or an idea, or a phone call. There was always something that got me through that next step that I had to do. That's such a unique way to look at it, because those were hurdles. You could have said that there were so many struggles and hurdles along the way that we luckily got through it, but instead you said that there were so many people along the way that helped us through the hurdles. That is the the glass half empty or half full approach is amazing that you saw it that way with such, I mean, your husband's sick. He's, he's, he's super sick and you're trying to get to just a hospital in, in Monrovia. Wow. Anytime along the way, you guys, what is the thought about packing up and coming back home to the United States? You know, that's another place. I always tell people, even if I don't see God at work in the world, I know my innermost thoughts. I know what I think and, and say my head and my heart. And so even if I don't see God at work in the world, I know he is at work inside of me because we actually, Joey got out of the hospital. We were actually in Germany and Joey got out of the hospital and we just, it wasn't even a decision. We were just like, okay, we're going back. We didn't even want to go to the U.S. to rest a little bit. We're like, we can do this. Let's go. Let's go back. We just knew that's what God was asking us to do. You said something amazing there. Like, even if you don't see it, you knew God is at work. Like, even though it may not be obvious, or may not be seen immediately that ultimately God, God is at work, but saying that and actually living that can be so hard sometimes. So is there not been any moment um, while you guys are there to think about, you know, this may be quite worth, worth this particular struggle. Maybe we could go do, have some different struggles in the United States. Yeah, we, we actually think that, Unfortunately, we think that's why. <laughs> well, because, Jacob, we, we've actually both had malaria multiple times oh, since then. Is that all? And so it, it is. So, you know, there's this physical you get you get the physical things like we both now had malaria more than a half, you know, a half dozen times. Um, our daughter has had it once who's with us. So you got that. I've been bitten by a snake. Um, you got things like that. But uh, honestly, the things that 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 seem to give us the hardest thing are the, are are is sometimes the betrayal or things that happen. Our our first night in our new property um, when we moved to our new place in February, where we're setting up our ecotourism company. Um, we had one of our own security guards stealing from us on our first night. Mm. Um, and so we ended up the next morning firing a security guard who had, who had stole from us the night before. This is our first night in our new house. And so it's that, that was like a thing like, what are we doing? Like what, what's happening? People that were, you know, you're trying to come alongside and to provide an opportunity that, Someone has, you know, someone's stealing from you or lying from you right then. We've, you know, it, those are things that you, that we face. Um, the, you know, other things as far as being misunder, you know, misunderstood or 
trying to overcome parts of, of corruption. I, we, we want to, you know, this, this is where the means are just as important as the end. And so how we go about starting this company and running this company is, a, is our witness. This is what we're doing. This is part outside of the intentional disciple making. This is how we witness to our community. Mm. So how we do this is important. Those are the types of, of struggles, wanting to do this well um, and not really knowing what we're doing. I mean, it's this fear of it's this pioneer fear. Uh, there's not there's not a book I can read to tell you how to go set up a business and run an ecotourism and coconut farm in Liberia. There's just not a book out right. there. So we're having to create and break ground on this all the time. And that is that's. That's the huge fear, the hurdles that we face. Those are the types of things we say, God, you, you, I know you haven't released us from this. You're still wanting us to press forward and to, be, and to persevere, but it's so hard. You, you've created a business that's not that the business is the pinnacle. The business is to, to provide opportunity and to sustain the people who are there. It, Jacob, what we what we tell folks, this is what we're in Liberia to do discipleship through employment. Yeah. The company is our method, is our vehicle for how we're doing discipleship. One on one, walking out onto the farm with someone, talking about you know, talking about challenges and how you see God at work. One on one, as well as time of going through our Bible study. Carrie leads our morning devotions every morning at eight o'clock. All of our employees, ones that live on site with us, as well as that live in the neighboring villages, we they, we all come together. We share God's word. Um, Carrie has, we've led, we've led folks through our, the Ten Commandments and through the, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in Matthew now, continuing that. So, let and Carrie, why don't you tell them what we do during in our in our devotion time? So you know, Joey told you that only three or four of our employees can read. So we just break it down really simply. Like when we did the Ten Commandments, we just did one commandment a day, and and I read it and then I tell it and then I get them to tell it back to me. And then I just ask questions like, what do you like about that? What's hard about that? And then finally we say, okay, if this is true, how does that look in our Liberian context? What does it look like for a Liberian to truly believe this and live it out? And then they just talk about it. And we have learned so much from them. Um, it's really been amazing. It's my very, very favorite part of the whole day. You're speaking so clearly on the simplicity of the simplicity of the gospel. Being there in Liberia, has it maybe clarified or given you some direction? Or if, if at some point God calls you back to the United States, how big of an impact on this experience in Liberia on the simplicity of of kingdom building and the gospel? What do you think that? What kind of impact do you think that has to your um, to your walk? Or if you were to come back to the states, what kind of impact would that have? I actually think it would be really hard. Um, this journey come to come back, I think it would be really hard. Okay, uh, I think. This journey has, um, so far, so we've been gone for almost four years now, and in a lot of it, I've had to strip away some of the, the things that the American church says are gospel, mm. and I have learned that they are, are not, and so it, there was a painful stripping away of those things but the simplicity of of god's word and the message it right is what's so well, was what you guys are being able to speak into is so important i think more of us need to hear it it has to be the gospel has to be true for 
an orphan that lives in Liberia just as much as it does a an affluent businessman in America, it has to be true for both of those people or it's not true. Well, this could be a this could be a whole other podcast, a whole other episode about the, the, the <laughs> about the American church and the direction it's gone the past eighty years. <laughs> but I, yeah, I definitely. But that's, but that's where it makes it difficult to come back, and so that that you know, even now, even on a, sh- a short six week trip back to rejuvenate and to um, and to do a few and to, to reconnect with people, it even then it makes it a. It, it makes it a challenge to come back. So. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, that's um, it's it, it, that goes back to the what, what what place you guys now feel is home. So yeah, that that plays right into that. So obviously, like you said, there are struggles that sometimes make you kind of think, uh, I, I wish we could come back, but you kind of you stick to it. How important is patience and perseverance in in all of this? <laughs> well, I, I think it. <laughs> important you know i i i don't know where i heard it i think maybe it was a podcast or something and it was somebody who was saying i don't want to give up before i see what god is gonna do i and i think about that like i don't want to give up and then god was just getting ready to to do something big I think we have to we have to put in the years so that people trust us and we have to put in the years so that people can see a different way. Um, I God gives us those are gifts from him, that patience and that endurance and and perseverance. And so we just keep asking him to to just pour that out in abundance for us. What yeah. you guys are creating is something that whether that means leave to you return to the United States or you leave to go to glory, <laughs> that what is behind is a legacy that is kingdom built that pours into to the local context that you guys are there. That's man, that's amazing. How many coconut farms did you run before you guys moved to Liberia? <laughs> <laughs> Well, in Atlanta, you know, they have them all over the Atlanta area. And so we just went to go see a few. Yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> well, this, this coconut farm is about 20 acres. It's over a thousand trees. And this, I'm a, I'm kind of a farm country boy from South Carolina, but it's, it's soybeans and, uh, and cotton. It's not coconut. And so we're still have so much to learn about running a coconut farm and then not only how do you run it so that they produce, but how do you market them so that folks can understand how to make a living? How can we make a living from it? So, well, and that's what I think people try to get their mind because the folks listening to this podcast are um, gaining value. They feel like they're called to do something in life, whether that's pursuing something in ministry or pursuing some kind of business opportunity. And they're thinking about, how do I start this thing? And they're, we're doing it from the comfort of the United States. And you guys are doing it as Americans in Liberia with no experience as coconut farmers. But taping, taking those steps, those leaps of faith, has had to have built some kind of confidence um, in your abilities and what God can do to get you ready for, for what kind of the hurdles that come your way. I think it's built our confidence in um, what God can do for sure. He continue. We tell him all the time, this is yours. This is your coconut farm. So we need you to help us. <laughs> I want to run your coconut farm into the ground. God, you need to kind of help us figure out what to do. And he does. Challenging God. Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, that can be so sometimes easy for us to say and so hard to deploy to have that faith to if this doesn't work out then it doesn't work out because God had planned it that way and if that's the situation then God has something else for us in in store right that and and that is hard 
but we have gone into it knowing we're going to give this our very, very best. And we are going to depend on God every step of the way. But there is the possibility it may not work out. Right. And then we're just going to open our hands and see what what's next. But that, and that's what's so, um, like I was talking about the, the, the one day talking to Paul. When I try right now, I'm thinking of things to complain about. And I'm afraid to tell you guys <laughs> what what I would be like. There's no way anything I'm going to have a problem with today that you guys haven't totally dominated in Liberia with a thousand different factors and hurdles compared to me having a weak Listen, a weak we'll, Wi-Fi signal in my basement. <laughs> we'll we'll complain right along with you, so don't feel like. With us, we'll just jump right in. Uh, well, so, uh, so so while you guys are there, who are some folks, some people, maybe employees that you've come across um, in Liberia? Maybe you've seen their spiritual, seen them grow spiritually, or maybe they've grown into leadership. Is there any kind of stories like that of maybe some folks who have just really? Uh, either stepped up in a big way or turned it around in some way that you guys can kind of look at and go, ah, yeah, that, that's that's why we're here. Oh, yeah. We have a, a couple. Um, so we have a guy, Cyrus, and he has worked for us for a, a couple years now. Right. And he just has been willing to take on some the culture, some people in the culture turning against him because he has been loyal to us. We have seen him defend us. He is actually right now, he's kind of managing our property, but he's also, we have a court case going on and he's managing all of that and taking some backlash. And so he really has put himself out there for us and, and for the cause and for Jesus and just really believes in us strongly and in, in God. And, and that has been just, we're grateful to him and we're just his strength and his endurance has, has been a witness to us. And then we also have this young man, Anthony, he actually lives in the village next to us and we saw some innovation and creativity and Mm -hmm. ability to to motivate people and so we hired him he works on the farm and he loves our morning bible time Mm -hmm. so anthony and his wife charlesetta they both work for us and in liberia faithfulness in marriage is a huge challenge. So we went through the 10 commandments and I don't think, I don't think Anthony had ever heard that God calls us to be faithful in marriage. Mm. And so this is when we're going through the 10 commandments. He hears the number seven, be faithful in marriage. And then we get to do not steal. And he says this, he says, well, I don't steal. I don't take other people's things. You can ask Charlesetta. I might be loving on the girls down in the different village, but I don't steal. So Joey and I were just like, oh. Well, yeah. Truth and disclosure. But, but then several months later, we had some friends come and I had opened up. Hey, if you've seen God work in your life in some way, and would like to share, feel free to share. So Anthony says to our friends, he says, you know, I didn't really understand about God calling me to be faithful in marriage. He said, but now I know it's because he loves me and he loves my family. And so I've stopped loving the girls in the village. And now I have the money to send my kids to good school. Mm. This next school year, my kids are going to go to a good school because I have decided to be faithful in marriage. 
so simple. That is yeah. such a, that's what's, that's what's so great about it. That's what's so great about a story like that is how simple it really, it really can be. Wow. It, yeah. And God at work in that, you know, Anthony, we did, we shared the scripture, but Anthony discovered it for himself and made the decision. You know, you talk about stepping out in those little acts of faith. He made the decision to do it. Wow. And then he saw how God provided in the middle of that. Just and now it and now it impacts his his whole family, his his children and everyone. So well, yeah, and that's it's so there was the the refreshingness. That, while it may have been shocking, the refreshingness of his openness is totally different than American Christianity. And right. then him actually recognizing the sin and addressing it and then still continuing to be open about it. That's, that is so such a great story to hear. We loved it. You know, if we don't say where we're falling short, how can God ever come? That's right. Wow. That is so awesome. Yeah. It's a great story. All right, Joey, Carrie, the remedial (laughs) missionaries. (laughs) Um, You guys, have some have a, have just great stories today. What about online? How can people follow along with you guys and what you guys are up to? Well, Jacob, we would love people can follow our story on our ministry website, which is on aiminliberia.com. So people can find out a little bit more, find it, get some other links and things like that off of our website. Um, we also have Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, so Facebook is under On Aim in Liberia, and Instagram is on just under my name. It's Carrie J. Davidson. Okay, On Aim in Liberia and Carrie J. Davidson. We'll have those same link. We'll link everything up on our Orphan Aid Liberia blog for our Love Podcast blog. We'll have show notes there too, so people can uh, just kind of get the summary and make sure they stay in contact with you guys. Well, it's just such a great story. Love talking to you guys. Can't wait for our our listeners to get a chance to hear your story and to connect and to see where they can relate to what you guys have been up to. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jacob. Another amazing story on this episode of the Love Period Podcast. Joey and Carrie Davidson are accomplishing phenomenal things in Liberia with their coconut farm and their ecotourism that they're working on as missionaries, creating a self-sustaining environment, providing for those kids that air quote age out of the system is just phenomenal. I encourage you guys to go check out more about what they're doing on their Facebook page on AIM. That's on A-I-M, on AIM Liberia. So you can follow along with their story. Also follow along with Carrie Davidson on Facebook as well too. You kind of see what they're up to. We just hope that this story, their story today, played one little piece to ignite the flame of your passion. We hope that you guys get a little inspired today. One more little step, one more chink in the arm, one more step to to driving you to lift up your anchor, step out in faith, step out into into the unknown, into what God is calling you to. If you haven't, please go ahead and subscribe to us in iTunes or through our RSS feed. Our podcast is also available on Stitcher. Also, you can check us out at orphanaidliberia.org to find out more about us as an organization. And also, you can find the show notes for this episode there as well. We have so many phenomenal stories coming up. We can't wait to share those stories with you. Thanks for listening, guys.